From creation to the flood to the patriarchs to Egypt, join me, Pastor Hook, as we go through Genesis, the backstory to the beginning. But it is good to be with you. And so um, I think we're just going to really dive into Genesis. We are back in Genesis chapter 4. And what happened is that uh, Adam and Eve had two kids. One was Cain, one was Abel. And both of them uh, were working the land, right? Abel was a rancher and Cain was a farmer. And they decided they were going to give some of their... um, some of their things to God and Abel gave uh, the best, you know, a very fine animal to God and God was pleased with that. Cain just picked out some stuff out of the field and God wasn't pleased with that. And uh, so we saw that uh, that Cain was downhearted because God was not pleased with his gift. And um, and this it shouldn't be this way. We talked about this yesterday, but it shouldn't be this way. Giving of ourselves to God should fill us with joy. And most of the time it does fill us with joy. But for whatever reason, God was not pleased. Doesn't really say why. I'm thinking he wasn't pleased because Cain just went out and took the first thing out of his field and gave it to God and said, here you go. Maybe it was a mangled cantaloupe or something like that. But but Abel you know, was very, um, very judicious and selecting the animal that he wanted to give to God. And that's what he did. He he put God first. He put, you know, he put time and effort into trying to please God and God was pleased with that. So uh, that's kind of where we left it yesterday. And of course, before we get into the, to the text, which is going to be Genesis chapter four, beginning of verse six, before we get into that text, is was God um, right in not being happy with uh, Cain's offering? Was God a little bit too harsh on Cain? And uh, of course, God is perfect. Uh, God wants us to strive to be perfect. None of us ever will be perfect. We can never be perfect. We are fallen people. Cain was fallen. Abel was fallen. Adam and Eve are fallen. I'm fallen. You're fallen. We're all fallen people. So we can never do anything perfectly. So I, I guess the question you could ask yourself is, well, if we can't do anything perfect, should we even try? Uh and Abel did try. He tried to give, you know, his the best sheep that he had or the best goat that he had to God. Uh, it certainly by any means wasn't a perfect goat because there's no such thing as a perfect goat. Uh, but he tried. And, and Cain, for whatever reason, just didn't try. And so the question is, did God, was God right in not being happy with Cain's offering? And the answer is, of course, God was right because God's perfect and God can demand perfection. It's the ideal that we shoot for. We'll never reach it, but we should try as much as possible to reach that ideal because that is what uh, pleases God. It's what makes our lives better. It's uh, the, the, the tension that we live in our life is that we know what God wants and we strive for that. But on the other hand, we're imperfect people and we will never reach it. Uh, in First John, it says, uh, if we say, you know, or no, uh, you know, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In other words, that none of us are perfect. None of us will ever be able to please God 100%. Uh, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't stop trying. And, and the good news about us followers of Jesus Christ is his, his perfect life redeems us. So that no matter what we do, 
when we try to please God, the Holy Spirit comes and takes those works that we do and modifies them and makes them perfect in God's sight. And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God called according to his purpose. And so therefore, uh, even the works that we do that aren't perfect, God can still take them and use them in his grand plan to finish his grand plan. Uh, What God needs is willing hearts and willing souls. He doesn't need perfect souls. He just needs hands and feet. And then he'll take our hands and feet and he'll glorify them and make them, you know, work for his kingdom. Uh, And that's great for us. Uh, But for whatever reason, it wasn't great for Cain. Cain saw the offering that he gave, the offering that Abel gave, and he looked at them both and he said, I'm downhearted. And that's where we left it yesterday. So we're going to start into chapter 4, verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. So obviously Cain uh, is angry. He's downcast. But God comes to him in a very gentle, loving way. And he says, Cain, don't be angry. Why are you downcast? If you just had done what I had asked for, then everything would be fine. I'd still love you. I mean, I would I would give you a hug. We can still walk together. I mean, it, this is what we do to our children, right? When our children try and they fail, do we throw them out and say, no, you know, I'm never going to have you try anything again. I don't love you anymore. No, we walk beside our children. We love them and we comfort them and be with them uh, in all that they do. And when they fail, we pick them up, we dust them off, we set them right, we wipe their tears, we give them a hug and we say, it's okay. I still love you, just do better next time, right? And that if, if Cain would have just simply heard this message from God, then everything would have been all right. But for some reason, and we have no idea what, Cain was continuing to be upset about that. He was angry. He was downcast. And instead of picking himself up, you know, knowing that God loves him and trying again, he starts to get angry and bitter and jealous of his brother Abel. And my friends, that is a very, very dangerous place to be. Um, We should always understand that when we confess our sins to God, when we When we say, I'm sorry, God, I did wrong. I'll do better. Will you forgive me? He always forgives us. When we always kind of start with that ground zero again and try over again, uh, God will, you know, love us. He won't kick us out. We're still part of his kingdom. Uh, We are like children. He's like our father. He loves us like a father loves the child. He wants us to do better. He knows we're going to fail. All we have to do uh, is continue to try to, you know, live the life that he wants us to live. But where he doesn't, where God doesn't want us to go is to get angry and bitter and resentful for our brother or our sister or anybody else and their position or how they're standing with God or what they're doing for God, you know, looking at your neighbor. And so, you know, this is again seeing a little bit of the Ten Commandments coming in, you know, don't covet your neighbor. He's coveting the fact that God liked his offering, uh, liked his brother's offering, but didn't like his own offering. And so Cain in a way, is envious of his brother. And that is the seed of sin. And sin is crouching at the door. And if it's not, if it's not dealt with, uh, it can, what I call the death spiral, right? It starts to descend over and over and over again until finally you do something 
that is horrible. And we're going to see that Cain does do something horrible. And why does Cain do something horrible? Because he doesn't deal with it at its beginning. He lets it spiral out of control. This is such a huge lesson for us in our life. There's so many times when we just, the littlest thing that we do, the littlest infraction or the littlest, you know, the anger, a little bit of anger, a little bit of resentment, a little bit of jealousy, uh, whatever it is in our life, when it, when it starts to sit there and fester and we don't deal with it, it can destroy us. Now, it won't always destroy us, right? You can, you can live with anger and jealousy and all this sort of thing for the rest of your life, you know, and maybe never do anything about it. But the flip side is that these things can fester in your life and get, and get worse and worse and worse and worse until finally you break loose, you have this moment, and you do something that's horrible in your life. Uh, you know, you talk to, to couples who are married, and sometimes one or two of them might harbor some sort of deep uh, anger or emotion that, that they've just never talked about, they've never worked through, uh, they've never come to their spouse and said, hey, you know, we've got to work through this or whatever. And it just sits there and festers and festers and festers until the point where it's almost to the point where you can't really even deal with it anymore. And we see it in our children all the time, right? We see our children that um, that sometimes these things, they just fester in our soul, you know, in their soul. And we have to sit them down and say, you've got to let go of this. You've got to deal with this. Uh, because if you don't deal with this, sin is crouching at the door, right? Uh and it's, this is some, you know, these are incredibly wonderful lessons that we teach our children. And uh, praise God, if you had someone in your life, a mom, a dad, a grandparent, you know, someone in your life, you know, kind of guiding you through these moments to say, yeah, you're not perfect, but try again. Don't let sin crouch at your door. And these are lessons that you, you know, hopefully all of you learned as a young child growing up. You know, your faith development, your character development, all this stuff happens, you know, in, in birth to, you know, why you're, you know, birth to 18, I guess. You know, you learn your whole entire life. But if you look at faith development in children, you know, vast majority of it happens in those early years, which is why I am so grateful that we have uh, our creation school that partners with parents to help reinforce the faith values that they're learning at home and reinforce them at school. And we teach incredibly strong faith values at, at Creation School. Uh, and they're very, very important. And that's why I'm so grateful for that program. Uh, and I'm grateful to be able to partner with, you know, the parents trust us to do that with our children. Because it is, it's something you have to learn early on in life. Otherwise, sin crouches at your door. I'm sure you've met people in your life where they've never learned these lessons. And they, and they just live in anger and resentment and uh, their whole entire life because they never learned that forgiveness is available, that perfection is unattainable, but God loves us and still cares for us. Anyway, uh, so that's where we are now, you know, in verse verse six and seven. And then we're going to go to verse eight and we're going to see what happens there. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother, Abel, and he killed him. So they went out into the field. You know, it's not a whole lot of detail given out here. Was, was it premeditated that he was going to do this? Sounds like it may have been uh, premeditated. He says, go to his brother. Let's go out into the field. That is a bit of a different situation 
than if they went out into the field and, you know, got into a brother-brother fight and, um, you know, they started wrestling or struggling or whatever, and then Cain went too far and killed his brother. I mean, we don't really know which of this is, but it appears from the scripture that it almost was premeditated, that Cain said to his brother, let's go out of the field, and while they were in the field, he killed him. And uh, this, is, this is a horrible, horrible brother-brother death. It's the f- example of our first homicide in the Bible. And uh, the question you have to ask yourself, I mean, I always ask myself, is how could you kill your brother, right? How could you physically, emotionally, just, just kill your brother? I mean, Cain was there at Abel's birth. Cain watched him grow up. Uh, you know, they probably played together. They probably lived together. They were probably best friends, you know, uh, growing up because, you know, your brothers and sisters are your best friends when you're growing up, right? And cousins then come also. Um, how, could you, how could you do this? Do you have not have empathy for your brother? And, um, uh, you know, there, there, are, there are people in this life that don't have empathy, right? There are sociopaths. There are people who, uh, who live their life and it's all about me, 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 and what I can do. Uh, you know, that's uh, what Luther said is the base, base sin of all mankind is, is, is curvatus in say that, uh, you know, we look inward to ourselves uh, and it's all about us and it's not about our neighbor. And we can kind of see this a little bit in Cain, right? It was, it was about him. It's all about him. And this killed him. Uh, this destroyed him, I'll say, because he kills his brother, which ends up destroying Cain. Uh, but he goes and he kills his brother. And I just, I think of mankind's inhumanity to man. I, whenever I see uh, this kind of stuff on TV or hear about it, it breaks my heart. You know, if you have, um, uh, you know, I, the one story I, I, that just always sticks with me is the mother that drove her kids into the lake or something like that. It's like, how could you do that? I There are just... I don't see how anybody could ever kill another human being. I just don't ever see how that's even possible. But I know it happens all the time. And I'm sure that at its root, it has to do with it's all about me and not about the other. And when it's all about you and not about the other, then things like then sin is crouching at your door. And uh, one of the ways to make it all about, uh, one of the ways to kind of protect yourself about you know killing your brother is to not make it all about you to give a portion of your time talent treasure and your resources and your love and give it away and be that conduit of God into the world around you and when you do that you're fighting against this natural tendency that we have as human beings to make it all about us and that has to be taught at an early age too teach loving others right teach serving others teaching putting others first in your life um that, and that is so important. And when you teach that to your children, when that becomes invested in their life and ingrained in their life, then this helps protect them against these types of sins that could happen later on in life. Uh, and apparently, Cain didn't have it. And so he attacks his brother, Abel, and he kills him. And we're going to go on to verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where's your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. 
And now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You'll be a restless wanderer on earth. So uh, God comes up to him and he says, hey, where's your brother? He goes, well, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Well, first of all, yeah, Cain, you are your brother's keeper. He's your brother. And all people at some level you're responsible for, right? You do not live in isolation in this world. You live in community with other people. We are, we are created in the image of God, which means we live in community. We love other people, which means at some level, probably stronger for a brother and a mother and a father and people in your family group, but at some level, you are, yes, responsible for other people that lives around you. Um, that is like the worst possible thing you could say. Am I my brother's keeper? Because the answer is yes, you are. And you should have been watching out for your little brother, all right? You shouldn't have killed him. You shouldn't have been uh, upset when God was pleased with his offering and not yours. You should have been pleased that God was pleased with his offering. You should have looked at your own and said, yeah, maybe I'll do better. But you should have watched out for your brother. Um, and we should watch out for all... You know, for sure, we should watch out for our brothers and sisters, our moms, our dads, our children, all that sort of thing. But we should watch out for our brother that lives in our community, in our neighborhood, in our world. I mean, that's why in this coronavirus, you know, we wear masks. It's not necessarily because it protects us. No, it protects our brother. And we should protect our brother. It's at some level why we come together and we do things to protect our brother. We live in community. Um, we're not isolated individuals. We should just, we just should do that. But now we get it, you know, so what your, the Lord says, what have you done? He says, listen, your brother's blood, this is so poetic. Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Your brother's blood cries out to me. Uh, this is why I wonder if he was a sociopath. Um, he probably wasn't a sociopath, but wasn't his brother's blood crying out to, to Cain also? I mean, I don't think... I don't think it's a stretch to say that at some level, he, Cain, should have been upset and downhearted that he killed his brother, right? Uh, and if he wasn't downhearted and upset that he killed his brother, then that makes me think he may have had sociopathic tendencies. I don't know. I mean, I don't know much about sociopaths. Uh, I don't know if it's a nurture thing or a nature thing. Like, are you born without empathy for your fellow human being? Or are you raised in such a in a such a situation where um people you know abuse you and throw you in caves and all that sort of thing and you lose the ability to have empathy for other people or is it a combination of both and I don't know the answer of that but Cain should the, the blood of his brother should have cried out to Cain because it does for most people um that's why God put in the 10 commandments don't kill your neighbor right don't kill because when you do that, it destroys us because the blood of that death is on our hands for the rest of our lives and, it, and it's, it, it festers in our life and we can never get rid of it unless you're a sociopath. Then you blow it off and you say, yeah, I killed somebody, no big deal. So the Lord says, what have you done? You are, and then he gives him a curse. You're under a curse and driven from the ground. Which, so the curse that God gives to Cain is that because the blood of his brother is seeped into the ground... Now, when Cain works the soil to, to produce the food that he has been doing, 
his whole life, now the food will not produce anything for him. So this is a major curse for Cain, if you think about it, right? Abel was the sheep herder, the goat herder. Cain was the farmer. And now God says, well, listen, because the blood goes into the ground, you are now under a curse. And um, the food that you have been producing in the ground is no longer going to be, the ground is no longer going to produce food for you. It's no longer going to yield its crops for you. So what that means is that he is no longer able to stay in one place and produce crops. And now he has to be a restless wanderer. What's said here in Genesis, he's a restless wanderer on the earth. He no longer has a place to stay on this earth to produce crops. Now he has to go from place to place. Remember, the earth still has crops everywhere else, right? The great thing about producing crops where you are is that you can till the ground, you can, you know, make sure the plants are watered, that the weeds are pulled and all that sort of thing. And you can kind of stay in one area and have, and have crops. But when, you, when the ground isn't going to produce for you anymore, now you have to wander from crop to crop to crop to crop to be able to eat. And you can't stay in one place any longer. And for, um, for many, many people, that's a curse, right? Because staying in one place is where you build family and community and culture and cities and you know community together. Uh, that's all kind of centered around a place. Now, we, of course, live in the 20th century. We can create community over the internet, right? But, but back then, the only way you could communicate, create community is to find a place where you bring people together and that's where we're going to live for a while. Cain can't do that. Now he is a restless wanderer on the earth, um, which is unfortunate. Um, so let's see. We'll go ahead and go to Genesis 4. So now he's a restless wanderer on the earth. The curse has been given. And now Cain comes back to the Lord and he says, but wait a minute. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you're driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. So just real quick on that, right? So um, he's no... One of the things that community does, right, is protects you. You are, uh, if you are in a family group and you all live on a compound, right, one of the things about that compound is they protect each other. And God is present there, right? And so that's one of the things that we do in communities. We protect each other. When you are ejected from the community, you are no longer under the protection of the community. And now he's a, a restless wanderer throughout the earth and as he wanders and goes into different communities or sees other people or whatever, uh, when people find him, they're going to kill him because he's not part of their community. He's part of a different community. You know, a stranger comes into your community, uh, you know, uh, we're not sure what we're going to do with that. And, you know, you could be killed. But listen to what God says. But the Lord said to Cain, not so. Anyone who kills you, Cain, will suffer vengeance seven times over and then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him so Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod east of Eden so uh, even in this even in all this God still loves Cain right even though Cain killed his brother Abel think about 
that. Think about the worst crime that we could do as a human being. That's kill another human being. And we see that as such a crime that we would, you know, we, we kill people for that. We put them in prison forever for that. I mean, there's a lot of punishments that we do among ourselves for this. But God, even here in Genesis 4, is showing his grace. Now, that should resonate deeply with you. If you think the grace of God only existed when Jesus was born on this earth, then you're not reading Genesis correctly because God is showing his grace even here in Genesis. And he puts this mark on Cain, and the mark that he puts on Cain is one of protection. That as he goes through life with this mark, people will not kill him. And if, you know, if they lay a hand on him, then God's vengeance will be 70 times seven. Now, we have no idea what this, what this mark is, right? What is the mark of Cain? The Hebrew word here is ot, which is a sign or an omen or a warning. Uh, I guess you could almost even say maybe it's a hex or it's, you know, it's this, it's this mark that's on Cain that wherever he goes, he can tell people, I'm a marked man. You cannot touch me because when you do, God will put this vengeance on you. Um, this Hebrew word ot is also used in the, in the story of Noah. When God says, I'm going to put a sign or a mark for you to show that I will not destroy the world again, that word is the same oat. It ends up being a rainbow, right? So that's what it is. It's a sign from God put over Cain that he's a protected man. Um, now, what's interesting is that uh, what the mark of Cain, you know, uh, people have been uh, wondering what this is for a very, very, very long time. Some have said that it's an actual maybe a Hebrew letter, or maybe it disfigured his face, or maybe it was something like that. The Syriac Christians, uh, 4th or 5th century, said that the mark was that uh, he had darker skin, right? And it wasn't that he was a slave or that it was anything else. It was just that's what it was. And I think that's where, uh, because there, what, what religion, there's some religions that say that it, the dark skin is the mark of Cain, Right. But there's, there's nothing in scripture that says that, you know, the mark of Cain was actual a physical deformity. Uh, it, 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 it's, it's this oath, you know, this oath, this is a sign or an omen or it's a warning. It could have been something that he carried with, carried with him verbally or it could have actually been a mark that he had on his body. We don't really know. Maybe it was, you know, a different skin color. But uh, the, the horrible thing about that is that it was used in the 18th and 19th, 20th century to say that people who were black uh, were the mark of Cain. And that there certainly is no, even in the fifth century Syriac Christians, the mark wasn't necessarily uh, connotated with slavery or demeaning people or you know saying it was a different race or something like that. That was just picked up. That whole thing was picked up by the slave trade uh, to try to make the slave trade palatable in the 17th, 18th, 19th century. Uh, you know, hey, it's the mark of Cain. This is from Genesis. No. We should never have done slavery. Slavery is an awful thing. And particularly, you know, enslaving people because of their color of their skin was a horrible thing. Um, and so the, the, you, should never, you should never look at somebody that's, that has a different skin color and say, you have the mark of Cain. Because first of all, we don't know for sure. But secondly, that's, that is a different way of looking at it than it was looked at in Genesis. In Genesis, it was a blessing in his life. It was something that God did to love Cain. It was something to show forgiveness and grace. So whatever it was, it wasn't like a, a curse. 
it was the opposite of a curse. It was a blessing that, or, you know, something that followed him to protected him from the curse. Uh, and so, and so you should never, ever, nobody should ever, ever say that dark skinned people, you know, are carrying the mark of Cain. That's simply not true. Uh, we don't know what the mark was, but it certainly wasn't that. And if, even if it was dark skin, it was looked at as a blessing. So, you know, you'd look at dark skin and say, people and say, you have a blessing from God, not a curse from God. All right. That's clear from scripture. That is completely clear from Genesis 4. Um, yeah, so um, we are at Genesis 4, 17. And the rest of the chapter, um, uh, yeah, we'll might, we might as well just finish the rest of the chapter. We'll go there. So then uh, Cain uh, made love to his wife. Again, this is, uh, this Cain knew his wife, Yada. <laughs> Cain yadad his wife, yada, yada, yada. And uh, she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city and he named it after his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad and Irad was the father of Mehujael. And Mehujael was the father of Methushael. And Methushael was the father of Lamech. Lamech married two women, one named Adah and the other Zillah. Adah gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who played stringed instruments and pipes. Zillah also had a son, Tubal-Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubal-Cain's sister was Nama. And just, just as a real brief thing, we see these names that have Methushael uh, or Mahujael. Anytime you see a name that ends with E-L, remember that is short for Elohim, which is, is the name for God in the Old Testament. All of these things where it's Lord, it's the proper name of God, Yahweh, but, but these names, you can always tell a Hebrew name because if it ends with L, that very much denotes a Hebrew name. It's something of God, blessed of God, beloved of God, uh, whatever, is, is a very much a Hebrew name. So we have two Hebrew names here, Mahujael and Methushael. Those are Hebrew names because they end in E-L. We have those today, Daniel, Samuel. Uh, all those are Hebrew names. All right. Um, and then we continue on. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged 70 times, seven times, then Lamech 77 times. Uh, and you'll remember that 70 times seven is something that Jesus says in the New Testament. Adam again yadad his wife, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. And Seth also had a son and he named him Enosh. And at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. So now we have the finish of Genesis 4. Um, Cain and Abel. Cain kills Abel. Abel gets a replacement. Uh, Cain, you know, Seth is the replacement for that. Uh, Adam and Eve still fertile, uh, even with, young, with older children. Of course, we see that Adam and Eve live a long time. Back then, before the fall, people lived a very, very long time. We'll get into that at some point, but not today. Uh, so basically these are just the offspring of, of Adam and Eve and where they lived and what they did. We can see that one guy kills someone. Uh, so death is definitely upon the land. Uh, 
so we see people killing each other. That's not good. Um, but unfortunately, we live in a fallen condition, and that's what our life is like. And if it's all about you and what I am and how God loves me, then you know, death is always crouching on our doorstep, uh, as it was on Cain. So we're just now finished with four. We'll move into five tomorrow. I'm going to try to pick up the pace a little bit. I'm sorry. Uh, so we might breeze through some of these just genealogy things a little bit more. But let's close in prayer. Dear God, thanks again for this time together uh, to learn that sin is always crouching at our door when we focus on anything other than you and love for our fellow neighbor. Lord, be with our community. Uh, help us to serve our brother, uh, not only in our congregation, in our community, in our world, but everybody that we meet. Uh, be with us over the weekend. Keep us safe and bring us back again together on Monday where we will continue studying your word. In your son's name we pray. Amen.